This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and this week I'm talking to Diane Blazek, who is the Executive Director of All America Selections. Welcome, Diane. Why, thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. How did you get into gardening? Were you always a gardener? or? Yeah, I think you could say that. I grew up on a farm in north-central Missouri, and, of course, living the farm life, my mom always had a vegetable garden, so I got started at a very young age. And then how did you get into publishing? Because you worked for Ball Publishers for quite a while, didn't you? Right, right. Um, Well, you know, somewhere in between there, I got out of college and I moved from Missouri to Chicago and was doing some of those starter jobs like everybody does out of college and um, wanted something closer to where I lived. Um, In Chicago, you can have quite a commute sometimes. So I just saw an ad um, for advertising sales at Ball Publishing. And when I went in to interview, we started talking about my background. And I think my farming background coincided with a lot of the personalities and, you know, the culture of the horticulture industry. So I started there in 93 and just fell in love with the industry. Well, and Ball Publisher, for those of our listeners that aren't familiar with it, they publish just huge amounts of information, mostly aimed at the, at the industry itself, exactly. at the growers. Yeah. Right, but right, right. But there are also now there's some consumer bits that I've seen, too. We we were doing some consumer information, yes. Um, We actually were doing quite a few books back then. Um, They've put their focus back onto the trade. Um, But we we published, when I was there, I think it was about 35 different book titles for consumers. Our first one and most popular was called, um, oh, it was all about uh, perennials and blooming perennials, month-by-month perennials. It's called Continuous ah, Bloom. I, I had forgotten that that was a ball one. publication. Yes, yes. So now, how did you get? How did you get into the American All America Selections program? And maybe some of our our listeners might not be familiar with the name All America Selections, though they might have seen it on a tag, some on a plant tag, someplace. So tell us what it is. Well, All America Selections is a nonprofit organization, and we trial new varieties of vegetables and flowers. We started in 1932, so we're, what, 82, 83 years old now. Um, but we are, as far as North America is concerned, the oldest independent trialing organization. So our entries come from breeding companies, and it's not just North American breeding companies. We work with European and Asian seed companies also. And so who does the judging? Our judges, number one, are volunteer judges, so we continually thank them for all the work that they do for us. Um, But we have about 80 different judges throughout North America, and they are all horticulture experts. So they have had the schooling and the experience to not only know the products that are out there, um, be familiar with all the competing products, 
products, how they do in different geographic areas. And most of them, this, you know, they're working in the industry. They may be a plant breeder. They may be a horticulture professor. They may be running the trials at their organization, be it a public garden or a university or a distribution company. So they're very much horticulture experts. It, you would love talking to them. I mean, it's just the wealth of knowledge that they have about their segment of the industry is so impressive and so enjoyable. Well, I had the privilege to know Alan Armitage through UGA because I worked for the Extension Service, and we were in and out of Athens quite often, and of course we'd always stop at the trail garden. And I know Alan knows just about everything about everything. You're right. (laughs) He certainly does, and we were lucky enough to have him as our AAS flower judge for years. In fact, we honored Alan last year at our summer summit. Um, There's an award we have called the Medallion of Honor, and that goes to somebody who has really, you know, given a lot to the organization and has participated. And, of course, with his celebrity status, he would probably blush when I said that, but um, (laughs) with his celebrity status, you know, to have him affiliated with all America's Selections is, is wonderful for us. Well, we were very privileged at UGA to have both Mike Durr and Ellen Armitage right. as our heroes. Yeah. But basically, I guess that people need to know that if they buy something that's an All-America Selection, they know that they're getting a plant that has been trialed by real experts. Exactly. Very, very much so. They, they, like I said, these people know their stuff, and when you're listening to them, and I'll just, I'll give one example. I, I was in a field with one of our judges. We were judging cucumbers. So, you know, you would kind of think, well, a cucumber is a cucumber. Oh, my goodness, no. They were judging it on the spines on the fruit and how thick the fruit was. Was it smooth? Was it rough? Um, how thick was the skin? How big were the seeds? How much flesh in relationship to the seeds? It, it just went on and on. And I, and this was my first year here, and I was kind of going, really? This is what's involved? But that's the standards that our judges hold our entries to, thus that's why, like you say, when you go into your garden center or look on a seed rack or something and see that AAS logo on there, you know that they have really been put through their paces. Now, um, AAS has trial gardens all over the country, don't you? Yes, we do. And I'll give you a little history. Back in 1932 that I said when we started, we only had 10 trial grounds. There were 10 grounds for flowers and 10 for vegetables. And today that has expanded to over 40 trial grounds for flowers, um, between 35 and 40 for our vegetables. And then a new trial that we started just two years ago, we now trial annuals that are propagated through vegetative cuttings, and we have 20 trial grounds there. And I will be very happy to tell you that we just announced um, perennial trials. So we're going to start a herbaceous perennial trial um, next year. We will start it, and we have almost 30 trial grounds for that trial throughout U.S. and Canada. Now, tell people, that for people that don't know, what is vegetative propagation? Vegetative propagation is um, a plant that has been propagated by taking a cutting off of a mother plant. So it's not produced from seed. It's produced by cutting. 
you know, and there are a lot of advantages to both of them, but for years AES was only doing seed, and that was only representing about half the market. So that's why we started trialing the vegetatively propagated varieties. And people might know, because they've done it themselves, either dividing a plant or taking a leaf cutting. Uh, when I grew up, my mother raised African violets, and any leaf that broke off uh, became another plant. Exactly. She'd yeah, stick it in water and then pot it up as soon as it had roots, and, and then she'd um, sell them through the church yard. The church had a yard sale every year to benefit the mission fund, so she made hundreds and hundreds. And so I, I'm sure that some of our listeners have too. <clears throat> oh, I'm sure. Yes, yeah. That that seems to be a very common practice for home gardeners, the, the passionate ones who want to increase their number of plants, which is wonderful. Well, it's especially good for broke new homeowners. Yeah, you know, exactly. You, <laughs> you, you know, when you move into a house, by the time you finish fixing the stuff that um, it was wrong, if you buy a, a pre-owned home, or by the time that you finish furnishing it, if it's your first, you're broke. Right, and you look right. at the landscape and it's bare, and so you go about trying to figure out how to get more plants in it. As I'm sitting so here is, looking at my desk, I have little spider plants growing all over. <laughs> so I'm spider plants right on my desk. Uh, spider plants are so easy for people to start on, too, if they haven't ever done it. I think spiders and African violets are probably the easiest ones. Right. Now, do, you, do you do your spiders, do you um, pot them before you detach them from the mother plant? I didn't. I actually detach them, and then I have, like, a whole flat. So, and this may not be the best way to do it, but I'm trying it. I, you know, that's my motto with gardening is just try it and see what happens. But I just took, like, um, a hairpin or a paper clip mm-hmm. and just kind of um, anchored them in the soil and kept them wet enough, and it looks like they're all taking. So I'm going to have little spider plants to put in my combination planters now. That's great. Yeah, I've done it both ways. I've tried putting them, I put the pot on the ground and then um, set the runners into little uh, little pots all the way around it or, or little soda cups or something like that um, and let them root and then I cut them off. And I've done it like you do, just cutting them off because it is kind of a pain in the neck to work around all of the mother plant and all those babies for the time it takes to root in. So it works just as well to... Um, stick them down. Now, are there any vegetables that are vegetatively propagated besides asparagus? Oh, that, that's an excellent question. Um, we do have a couple breeders that have been asking, well, you know, what about onions that are started from onion starts instead of the seeds? And what about trialing mm. potatoes and asparagus? And And I have told these breeders that give us time and hopefully we can start trialing those. Um, As of right now, the way that we're set up, it really is just a seed trial for vegetables, but maybe we can get into that in the next couple of years. You know, we really have changed a lot um, in this new millennium. Um, Like I say, you know, for 70, 80 years we were doing only seed trials and now going to vegetative. So um, I guess the best thing to tell people is just Keep an eye out on All-America Selections. You never know what else we're going to come up with. Well, I was intrigued to hear that you're going to be doing the perennial plant uh, trials in conjunction with the the Perennial Plant Association because that group is huge, and they have members all over the U.S. and Canada and overseas. And 
I know some of them are absolutely fantastic gardeners and growers. Exactly, yes. And when we started thinking about trialing perennials, um, obviously the Perennial Plant Association knows perennials, and so they really lent their expertise on how the trial should be conducted. Um, it's, it's just a whole different process. You know, it has to go over three winters to see how everything overwinters. So we combined the best of the best, their expertise with the AAS trialing method, um, and we, you know, morph this into a trial that it looks like is is going to be very successful. I just spent a week out in California last week, and a lot of uh, the breeding companies and the growers stopped me and just said how happy they were that we were going to introduce this perennial trial which I probably should clarify, right now there are a few AAS winners that are perennials, but they were trialed in our one-year program, so they were trialed for first-year flowering performance. So now this other trial will be the true three-year, three-winter overwintering trial. And that's really important because you can have a plant that is a great, has great flower production, and then it doesn't like a wet winter or it doesn't like a cold winter or doesn't go dormant well enough, and, and then it poops out in you. And that, I, I used to, I was, well, I am a plant freak, and so I would buy anything new that came along that anybody recommended. And I've killed an awful lot of plants. You know that? <laughs> We've got to take a little break right now. Plants. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the size of your compost pile tells you how good a gardener you are. <laughs> right. We have to take a little break right now, but we'll be back talking more about the All-America Selections program right after this. Could an app be the answer to a better garden? Absolutely. It's the new free app, Homegrown with Bonnie Plants. Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands-free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app. The sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. This week, my guest is Diane Blazik, who is the Executive Director of All America Selections. And right before the break, she was telling us about what's changed in um, the All America Selections over the years. And one change that I noticed was that now you've got a list of regional varieties, too. When did that happen? That's very recent. That just started a little over a year ago. And um, I'm glad you noticed that because we're, we're trying to make a big deal out of it. How that came about is we went through, you know, years and years of trials and started looking at some of the genetics that were not winning in the trials. And we thought, wow, you know, they, they still have some excellent qualities. And, and I'll just give an ex- two examples, um, an okra and a celery. We had those in the trial several years ago, and neither one of them 
performed well in all the locations. Like I said, we have 40 locations throughout North America. Well, there's a reason for that. You know, okra is very much a southern vegetable, and it likes growing in the heat, and celery needs a nice long growing season. So up in northern Canada, it's not going to do as well. And if an entry does not do well everywhere, it drags down the average score, and thus it doesn't become a winner. So long story short, um, the board looked at this and thought, especially with vegetables, should we be recognizing regional performance? Um, because, you know, average Jane Doe gardener in Illinois doesn't really care how it does in Georgia and vice versa because we're growing in our own backyard, right? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, we started looking at those, and we have six different regions that are outlined on our website. And so when um, all the scores come in at the end of the season, we are able to share which varieties did well nationwide and which varieties did well in specific regions, and those are called our regional winners. And tell people what your website is, where they can find this information. There's two different URLs, um, just because one's easier to remember. Um, so aaswinners.com or allamericaselections.org, and that's all-americaselections.org. Okay, and so people can go to the winner's site or click through the organization site and find the winner's link, and then they can go down and put in, what, any vegetable and then their regions especially? Um, yeah, when you get to our AF winner's link, there's there's ways to sort So you can sort by all years, which would be 83 years worth of winners, or you can sort by vegetable or flower, or you can sort by specific class, or you can view just the national winners, or you can view just the winners for your region. For example, for you, southeast, you know, you could click just the button that says southeast, click on the button that says apply filters, and then those would come up. I was having a good time playing with it a few weeks ago, Um, and and it was really, and that's when I discovered that there were regional winners, and I said, hey, this is cool, because a lot of plants that do well in the Midwest, um, particularly the drier parts of the Midwest, don't do very well here in the Southeast, because we've, you know, while we have our years of drought, very often um, we'll just have weeks and weeks where it just rains pretty much every day. Or in the case of this year, every I think we've had two sunny days in a month. Oh my goodness, you've really gotten yeah. it this year, though. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it's been it's been bad. But I I promised myself I would never complain about too much rain after our seven years of drought. When we got down to the point where the our lake that is our primary drinking water reservoir, they had to move all the intakes way out in the middle of the lake because it was too shallow. And they couldn't yeah. pump anymore. And all you saw right. so was shoreline. But I have to say, I do whine a little bit. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know. And I, every I was day. out in California last week, and, of course, you know, with their drought problems and beautiful weather, though, I came home, and it's been about 50 and dreary and rainy all week here in Chicago. And so I'm the same way. I'm like, I should not complain about this rain. I'm not going to complain. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just wish I could send it to my friends in California. Right, we all do, yeah. So tell us how the 
um, how the trials are run. Now, you don't just take any plant that anybody just brings to you, do you? Oh, no. It's, it's, it's a very strategic process that the breeders go through when they decide which varieties they are going to enter. And I think one of the biggest misunderstood parts is that when something goes into our trial, it has never been sold commercially. It's never been sold through the garden centers or seed packets or anything. It is a brand-new variety. So the breeders make a choice on which of their new varieties. There's no limit. You know, a breeding company can enter one or they can enter ten, whatever they feel has, you know, obviously they're picking the ones that they think have a really good chance of winning and will have excellent garden performance. So the breeder submits an entry form to us here in our office. Um, We have to do kind of fun things to make sure that it remains anonymous, like if it comes in from outside the U.S. and there's metric, we have to convert it to English. And, you know, sometimes uh, somebody filling out the form is not, um, does not have English as their first language. So we have to make sure that we kind of um, homogenize, make everything seem just um, pretty consistent. um, Because, like I said, we want the entries to remain anonymous. So once we get the entries in, then we send them to a comparison committee, which is made up of all AAS judges. And again, remember, they're experts in their field, so they really know all about the varieties that are on market. And let's say that um, it's a white zucchini. I'm just making this up. Is the entry. Well, then they have to find other white zucchinis that are on the market um, that are similar. And if there is not a white zucchini because it's the first one ever, then they'll try it, trial it next to a green one because we're always looking for taste. We're always looking for garden performance, productivity, disease resistance, things like that. So we select two comparisons. Then we order that seed from the breeding company that has produced that comparison. And I say order, but that's a little bit misleading because the other breeding companies donate that seed that is used in the trials. And I think that is a really amazing example of how the breeding companies support AAS because they may be giving the seed for a comparison that could eventually displace their their variety on the market because if it's trialed next to our entry and our entry does better, then, um, yeah, it, it may become the more popular variety. So we have, have all that had seed. A, have you ever had that happen and a company say, oh, no, I'm not going to give you any more seed, or did they all just suck it up and continue they, to donate? They continue to donate. We have never had anybody say, oh, you displaced mine in the market, so I'm not going to support it anymore. That's wonderful. Isn't isn't it, though? I know. When I first came here five years ago, I was just like, really? This is how they support it? And and I think that, um, you know, is like a boost of confidence for the consumer to know that all the seed breeders are out there working together for the betterment of everybody you know what you're getting in the end is is really good product and good genetics yeah that's that's a pretty cool thing and i guess there is some self-interest there because if people garden successfully they're more likely to keep gardening and if people try something and it's a really bad variety um and they're not happy with it then they're going to say, oh, I can't garden, maybe, or they're going to say, oh, this isn't worth the effort. So I think it, it, it helps everybody in the end to be able to um, 
to share the share the knowledge like that. Yes, I I completely agree with you. So so anyway, um, so we have these comparisons and we have the entries. We send them to the judges. They grow them. They try to act just like a home gardener would. We don't ask them to take any extraordinary measures like, you know, um, some of the more experts in the field might do. We just say treat them like a home gardener would, um, irrigate them like a home gardener would, you know, don't overdo it with any special treatments like pesticides or fertilizers or anything. So they grow them for a full season and then evaluate them about every two weeks. At the end of the season, they send the score sheets to us. We look at them and we do the mathematical equation and any that perform high enough to become an AAS winner, we contact the breeder and we say, well, you have a potential AAS winner. Are you going to accept the award and when do you want to introduce it? And so from there, they pick one of the introduction times that we have throughout the year and then it becomes a variety that is on the market and available for sale. That's something else that's new, isn't it? Didn't you, It seems like maybe 10 or 15 years ago, all the winners were announced just once a year. Yes, that is true. And so we tweaked that to where there were multiple introductions. And like I say, we're in a constant uh, mode of change around here. So we're continuing to evaluate. Does it make sense for multiple times or does it make sense for one announcement per year? So we're, we're right now looking at that and trying to decide you know, one way may be best for the industry and one may be best for the consumer. So we we may be changing that um, to come because we want to make sure it works works best for everybody involved, which I would love your opinion. You know, do you want to hear about AAS winners once a year, twice a year, or three times a year? Whoa, what a question. <laughs> <laughs> I, always, I always used to... Enjoy getting all the slides. This does go back a long time. I would get slides of the AAS winners um, once a year, and that was pretty cool because I could put a whole presentation together um, using the slides to show people what was new. But I think from the standpoint of the different things, like perennials, for example, because we plant perennials most successfully either in March or in the fall, and maybe separating those out versus the annuals, maybe summer annuals and winter annuals. I don't know. Well, that, that's a good point to make. I'm, I just jotted a note down because I will take that to our board. We're actually having a meeting to discuss this next week, so I love your feedback. <laughs> okay. Well, I will have to think about that some more. As a garden communicator, it was easier for me to have it all at once. Um, but that could be just in the form of a wrap-up, too. Yes, you're right, and and I have talked to other garden communicators, and they're more in favor of once a year, and so, you know, the key thing is what time of year to make sure that it can get through to the garden communicators so that they can tell all of their readers, you know, which, which is really key, um, and telling them at a time where they will remember it for their planting season, so maybe hitting... You know, like a fall before people start doing, you know, like all the seed catalogs hit in December and January, and that's when you're ordering a lot of your seeds. So, so yeah, we're, we're continuing to analyze that and decide which way is the best method. And so it's a several-year process, or it can easily be a several-year process, because once they have the seed, once they know they have a winner, then they have to bulk up the seed too, don't they? Exactly, yeah. That's one of the rules is they have to have enough, we call it, seed in the bag 
um, for a full 12 months' worth of sales. So they have to have that seed before they're able to accept the AES winner designation. They're putting a lot of faith and money on the line, aren't they? Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> we have to take a quick break right here, but I want to remind you that you're listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show, and we'll be back talking gardening right after this. Could an app be the answer to a better garden? Absolutely. It's the new free app, Homegrown with Bonnie Plants. Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands-free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app, the sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store. This is Dr. Elena George with your health tip of the day. Did you know skipping doses of medication can be dangerous? If you have a chronic medical condition like diabetes or high blood pressure, it's important to take the medication prescribed by your physician. It is also important to remember that although you take a medicine to treat a condition, it is not a cure for the underlying medical condition. It is used to control it. For example, taking medication for diabetes will lower your blood sugar. However, if you stop taking the medication, the sugar will rise again. Changes in both diet and lifestyle, like adding exercise to your routine, are equally important. Working with your physician by following his or her recommendations is the key to controlling your disease and maintaining your health. Ask questions if you don't understand something. Taking control of your health is the key to wellness. Please join me Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for Medicine on Call. This is Dr. Elena George. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and my guest today is Diane Blazek, who is the Executive Director of All America Selections. And right before the break, we were talking about how the trials are done. And, Diane, you said it starts with the breeder, plant breeder sending seeds or, or sending notice that they have a variety. And then who picks the comparison variety? Does that, do the breeder do that, too? Um, actually, that's a good point. The breeder does make some suggestions because as part of the process of picking which new variety they enter, they have already done their own private trials. So they will be trialing varieties from other breeders just to see how it compares. And so usually what will happen is they'll say, oh, look, um, you know, we had this red petunia and it did better than XYZ, so we'll enter it into the AAS trials. So they make suggestions, but then it does go to a committee of our judges. They look at the suggestions from the breeder and give it a yay or a nay, or maybe they pull in a completely different variety um, based on the traits and the claims that that breeder has made about that entry. Okay, and then you take all the marking information off so nobody knows what they're growing um, exactly. When, yeah, when it goes have, to the judges, right? It's it's an anonymous code. You know, it it, it denotes the year, um, the entry number, meaning how many we got into the office, and uh, which trial it's in. It's in the ornamental seed, or the ornamental vegetative, or the edible vegetable, 
and then soon to be the perennial. So it'll have a little letter code in there. But yes, it's the entries are anonymous. The comparisons do have the variety name on. Okay, so if somebody was going to trial um, a new yellow squash, they they could go with um, trialing against the Fortune yellow squash that came out a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And they would know what that is. Okay, right. so I guess that helps knowing what the performance should be if they've grown that particular plant before, the particular exactly. cultivar. Yeah, yeah and most of these judges have done that. Like I say, um, they've probably all grown pretty much everything that's on the market. Um, so they're very well versed with the garden performance of the other varieties. But we don't want them to rely on their memory, so that's why we have them grow them side by side. The growers will grow the entry like in the row on the left and then the comparison number one in the next row on the right and the comparison number two in the next row so that they're all right there and it's easy visually to um, do the comparison. And that helps, too, because you can't always, you know, some varieties perform better in some years than the other. And depending yeah. on weather conditions and whether it's right. been excessively cold or excessively wet or, or hot and dry. I remember that at the trial gardens in Athens, um, garden writers were, and other growers were allowed to come in and Alan would hand us all flags and we would go up and down the rows and flag which ones we thought were best. And I, love I think he did that just to that. see what the public likes, but um, it was a fun exercise. Okay, so the trials are done, and you get the cards, and you tally up, figure out which one is the winner, and then you ask the grower um, whether he's going to accept the award, and then what uh, happens? The, the breeder, yes, the breeder decides whether or not they accept the award. And so uh, there's a certain set of criteria. We talked about having enough seed in the bag, but they also have to have that seed ready, packaged, priced, ready to ship. So the day that we announce it is the day that the seed goes on sale. So that means the breeder sells it to the brokers and distributors, who sell it to the growers, who sell it to the retailers, who sell it to the consumers. So it has a whole chain of distribution. So let's say if we were to announce a new winner today, it usually will take um, a month or more for that seed to kind of get through the chain so that the consumer could buy the seed. If it's a plant, it will probably take even a little bit longer, um, especially with the seasonality, um, you know, where, where it would take that long to get to the grower who would grow out the plants and everything. So what happens when we announce it is really where our work begins from a marketing standpoint. So we're sending out press releases to the trade. We're sending out press releases to all the garden communicators. And in the past five years, we've become big users of social media. So we will announce it on our Facebook pages. We'll announce it on Twitter. We put it onto our Pinterest boards. Um, Yeah, so that's really when our, our work begins is once that announcement is made. And then from that point, it's what, like the next year for most, I guess, the vegetatively propagated stuff takes even longer, doesn't it? Uh, in some ways it does. It kind of depends on when we announce it. Like this year we announced the vegetative winners in November, and because they already had those cuttings ready to go, and not time to brag or anything, but an AS winner gets immediate acceptance. You know, it doesn't have to go sure. through additional trialing because it already has. So when the brokers and growers found out that we had these vegetative winners, 
pretty much right away, you know, they were calling up their sales rep and saying, we want to carry this. So, for example, we have um, a new Sun Patience and a Bounce Impatience that were winners, our two vegetative winners from last fall. And um, they're they're showing up now at retail because of the fact that, um, you know, that, that immediate acceptance that I talk about. And you're going to find Pink Flame, which is the Bounce Impatient, and Spreading Shell Pink, Sun patients, you will find those in the garden center right now. There may not be in every single one just because of availability, but they are available at retail. That's a good thing to know. Okay, so we talked a little bit about that you had trials gardens in North, all of North America. Whereabouts are they? You've got oh some in Canada, don't you? We certainly do. Um, I cannot say that we have a trial ground in every single state and province, but we're pretty close. I think we might be missing maybe four and in some places it just it makes sense. Um, Arizona, Utah, you know, most of our um, annuals from seed are just not appropriate in those climates so we don't have trial grounds there but um, on our website there is a little button that says trial grounds so there's a big long list and you can see how many are in the U.S. and how many are in Canada. I think we have 11 in Canada Um, and that list right now includes our vegetative trials and our seed trials. As of two weeks from now we will have all of our perennial trial grounds listed also so that's that's the trial grounds and i will say that um people may think trial grounds are pretty they're not always pretty um think of them as a research laboratory (laughs) so they're Mm -hmm. not displayed in pretty beds they're in rigid rows or blocks and being a trial sometimes there are failures and we tell our judges if an entry dies or if a comparison dies just leave it you got to continue to observe it and you know give us the final tally So what I like to do is encourage people to visit the display gardens that we have instead of our trial grounds. Okay, so the display grounds, the display gardens are ones where they have the winners already. It's not like the trial garden where you can, I remember being up in Athens one year when it had been pretty wet and about a third of the garden had just melted (laughs) <laughs> the plants that were on trial. Right. And yeah, yeah. It, it was fun to see what one of the eventual winners was because that sucker was just standing up really proud and pretty and blooming its full head off um, when nothing else was. So yeah, that, that's a yeah. fun thing for, for plant geeks like me. Oh, but is. I guess you don't want to have everybody and their brother going into a trial garden either. That's very true. In fact, some of our trial grounds are restricted. That was a requirement with the vegetative cutting trial. They have to be basically behind locked gates. Um, And that's because a vegetatively propagated item more often than not has been patented um, or it's going through the patenting process to be trademarked and everything. So we cannot have those entries out there where anybody could come along and take a cutting. Um, so, so those trials are, are closed to the public. You wouldn't think a gardener would ever filter cutting from someplace, would you? <laughs> I will keep my mouth shut on that one. <laughs> yeah. Finger pruning, for those of our listeners that aren't or haven't been around some uh, gardens with unusual plants, finger pruning is um, always a problem. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we used to sometimes when we, I would help out at, at a friend's, um, 
we would station somebody right next to the exit and make people open up their pockets. Oh, my goodness. You were really strict about it. Uh, yeah, it, in, in this one case it was. But it, it was kind of fun because you never know who's, you know, the, the most innocent-looking person can be right. the biggest snitch. Right, and, right, and that's right. important because if, if this genetic material gets out there, particularly to a competitor, that is the livelihood of the breeder that's put years and years and years into it. Right, right. You, you think, what, five, ten years of research to introduce a new variety. And, yeah, that's, that's their proprietary information, and it belongs to them. So, you know, it, it, it needs to be treated as such. And, and that's exactly what we did with the trial grounds. Now, by the time it gets on the market and has become an AAS winner, it has already been protected. So that's why it is sold at retail. That's why we use our display gardens, which are our public gardens. Um, we, we use a combination of public gardens, municipalities, and garden centers to send them our new winners. They plant them out, and they put all the signage on them. So it's very clearly they're designated as AAS winners, and we make sure that they have the variety signs on them also. And I assume that there is a, a, a searchable list of there. I know most, I've been to a lot of gardens that have, uh, particularly the botanical gardens, um, big public gardens have big trial areas where you'll see um, a, a patch of them here of one type and a patch of them there so people know exactly what it is and they can take notes. And one very clever garden of my acquaintance has little um, mailboxes in the garden with notepads so people don't um, snitch the, the um, labels. Oh, that's, that's always a problem. idea. Yeah. If, if people go into a garden and they find that somebody has stolen all the, all the labels with all the variety information, then they get mad. But um, people, if you're listening and you've been out into a garden center or, or to a botanical garden and you're missing a, a tag there, it's not the fault of the botanical garden. They try really, really right. hard to keep the labels all in place. We've got about a minute and a half, but when we come back, I'd like to talk to you about the best varieties that you've grown. I think a lot of our people are going to be wanting to know what are the best, what do you like. I know I've had a couple like, like Diva Cucumber. I love Diva because Diva doesn't need a pollinator, and pollinators, as people know, pollinators are getting scarce. Um, due to pesticide and habitat loss and things like that. And with Diva, you don't have to go out there and play bee by going from one flower to another. It will. It doesn't need pollination, and you get a nice seedless fruit. Right, right. So there are all sorts of wonderful little att- attributes like that. Um, do you have a favorite right off the top of your hat right now? Oh, my gosh. You know, this question is always so difficult because I always say, well, that's like asking me to choose my favorite child <laughs> and um and yeah that that's like almost impossible i mean there are there are certain as winners for certain categories so we can kind of talk about that when we come back okay we'll be back talking more about all america selections winners right after this break could an app be the answer to a better garden absolutely it's the new free app homegrown with bonnie plants Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands-free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app. 
the sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and this week I'm talking to Diane Blazik, who's the Executive Director of All America Selections. And right before the break, I put her in the spot asking her what her favorite All America Selections winner was. So, now that you've had a teeny break to think about it, let's talk about some. Okay, so you're asking me to pick my favorite child, I guess. Um, And I think, like your children, they all have different qualities. um, And so there are certain things that I plant for certain reasons. So you had talked about pollinators. So I think I'm I'm going to talk about one here that I just, I adore. And that is, there's three summer jewel salvias that have been winners. I I think we've announced one every year for the past three years. And they come in red, pink, and white. So we have a nice little series going. But these salvias are, I mean, as you know, salvias are, are great for, uh, for pollinators, and this one is a really good salvia. It's just very prolific with flowers, nice big flowers that have the deep throat, which, um, of course, the pollinators love. And, again, the colors are red, white, and pink, and they're called Summer Jewel. Now, are these tall salvias, or are they short salvias that can go in a, uh, a container? Um, they can go in the container, but they're a little bit on the taller side. They're, they're not the short little bedding plant. And I'm trying to think how they were about 18 to 24 inches tall when I saw them. So they're definitely the, the taller type. But they will, they will definitely, you know, bloom all season long. Well, for me, I'm thinking season going from late spring through fall. That might be something fun to put in a container and use that for the thriller and then have a cucumber, a couple of cucumber vines draping over the side. Oh, that's an excellent idea. I'm going to try that because then you've got all the pollinators coming to the cucumbers. And I will yeah. tell you, okay, since you brought that up, I will tell you which cucumber I would recommend because we have one that's perfect for containers, which if I had to talk about trends, um, compactness and smaller plants are definitely a trend. The reason for that is um, several, actually. So if you think of maybe our younger gardeners, uh, they're in an apartment. They just have a balcony. They can't grow some big indeterminate tomato. So they're needing something that they can grow in containers. Um, another thing, um, I was just talking about this earlier this morning, is there's a group of us called baby boomers that maybe are looking to downsize or have downsized. So we're going from, you know, either a rural lot or a suburban lot where we have lots of room to a townhouse and we only have like 10 square feet that we can plant something. So you need a smaller plant. And so the cucumber that I would recommend there is called pick a bushel because it does have shorter vines. 
and you can pick the cucumbers as they're smaller or let them get a little bit bigger, but they're very prolific for for cucumbers growing on a shorter vein, vine in a container. You'll get lots of little fruits off of it. Okay. And is that more of a, you said it's got short vines. Does that mean it's more of a bush type, or could it be trained up short stakes to get oh, more of them in the be. container? Oh, yeah, yeah, you can definitely train these up um, up a trellis or something, and I'm, I'm going to tell you how long the vines are. They are less than six feet long. Oh, yeah, ah. it's definitely a bushy one, yes. Okay, so six feet long, they could easily, if they put it on the side of their balcony, um, just let it climb up the deck, ra- the, the rail, huh? Oh, they could, yes. I, I thought you were going to say let it trail over, and I'm thinking, well, now the person on the floor behind them is going to pick the fruit. <laughs> they may not want well, to do that. Yeah, train it around the rails. <laughs> or we're going to have a guest down that's going to talk to us about vertical gardening, and it could go near the top of a vertical garden on the ends and just let it trail down. And, and so you can just that's reach true. out while you're having your adult beverage in the evening and just reach out and pick one and snack on it. Yeah, yeah, but, you're right. There's another one. Oh, sorry. I wanted to make sure I talked about this one, too. It's called mascot bean. So it's it's a green bean, nice, long, thin beans. Um, what, it does extremely well in window boxes and containers. You can still plant it in ground, and it'll be great. But this one is a little bit bushier, doesn't necessarily need to be staked. It produces all the green beans on the outside of the vine, so they're very easy to pick. But its root system is just perfectly set up for containers. So that's another one that um, I've, I've heard a lot of great things from the people that are growing it. And, like, I loved it. The, the beans were so tasty. And being on the outside of the plant so that you can see them to pick is really important because I know most of our listeners have grown green beans at one point or another, and you know that if you miss it for one day, it goes from being perfect to being lumpy and woody and not very attractive. Yeah, not tasting not tasting too great. So, um, yeah, for people like me, I, I want them easy to pick, and that's, that's another great quality of this one. Okay. In the tomato department, one of the, my most dependable tomatoes is Juliet. That doesn't taste all that great. It was an AES winner several years ago, and I've been growing it, and I gave a plant to a friend of mine, and he was bringing... Um, a five-gallon bucket of tomatoes into the office every other week. That's a lot of tomatoes. That is a lot of tomatoes, yeah. And we have had And that's just several. what he wasn't using for his, his own self. I like Juliet particularly because it's kind of, it's meaty like aroma, and I can make it into baked marinara real easily. Um, but it's not all that great for fresh eating. What do you have that's good for fresh eating that's as prolific as Juliet? Well, I I will tell you that we have a recent winner, and I've got several cute stories about this one, too. Um, Remember I talked about the comparisons? Quite often the comparisons are older AS winners, and Juliet was actually used as a comparison for Jasper, which is um, a winner. It was two years ago. It's a 2013 AS winner. But this, the, the taste of this is unbelievable, and it is indeterminate. It gets large, but the production is going to be as good or better than Juliet. 
And here's here's my story. It was I think this happened like the same weekend or maybe a week apart. But my mom was visiting, and she she hadn't even been out to my garden or anything. But we sat down to dinner, and I served a salad with little tomatoes on it. And she's like, "Wow, these are the best tomatoes I've ever had." And I was like, "Hmm, that's an AAS winner, and that one is called Jasper." And then, um, I, like I say, I think it was about a week later. I sent my husband out to the garden, and I said, can you go to that one plant that's just right there on the south side of the house, pick the tomatoes, and bring them in? So he's gone for a while, and he comes back empty-handed, and I was like, where's the tomatoes? And he got a really sheepish look on his face, and he goes, I just stood there and ate them all. They were so good. (laughs) (laughs) So that, that tells you in my family, Jasper is certainly one of the favorites. Well, and since you grew up with a farm, you know what good is, too. So that's very high praise. Yeah, especially when it comes to tomatoes. Now, you said Jasper is a little tomato. How how does it compare in size to Juliet? Oh, Juliet is kind about of a big the, grape. Yeah, yeah. I would describe this the same way. I did have the experience that the taller it got and the fruits on the top became smaller, um, but that initial, you know, month or so of producing them, they were yeah about the same size as Juliet. I, I wasn't growing them side by side, so I'm going on memory, which I asked my judges not to do. Um, but based on that and some of the feedback from the judges, they were they were very similar in size for that first flush of fruits. I found, uh, and I don't know whether you have too, that if once that first flush has um, come and been picked, if I throw a fair amount of fertilizer on it, Either you know, either liquid fish stuff or a commercial fertilizer. That sucker will pop out, and we'll get another flush of growth that will support larger fruit again. Yes, you're right. Yeah, and I just failed to do that because I was traveling. <laughs> yeah, I, and I understand that too because <laughs> I I don't always practice what I preach. I know, and, I know. It's, it's easy to tell people what to do, right? <laughs> yeah, well, maybe they're more efficient and organized, and maybe they're not traveling, and they can, you know, get out there and do it. And yeah. if they're growing in the ground and they've added a lot of good compost and things, by midsummer it's not a problem because the compost is breaking down and providing all the nutrients the plant needs. But in containers, I found it can be a little trickier. It, yeah, you're right. It is. Um, so it's it's more convenient in some ways, but from a nutrition standpoint for the plants, you you have to tend them a little bit more. Yeah, and I found that one of the best ways to tend them is to get um, a little drip irrigation system with a timer because one of the big problems that we have here in the south, I don't know that it's as much of a problem where you don't have really hot weather, but the containers will dry out in a heartbeat. Um, particularly tomatoes because they have such a big root system. Yes, and once, exactly. Yeah. yeah, once the tomato dries off, then you're getting problems with reduced pr- production and blossom end rot and all that kind of achy stuff. And so I found that if I run a drip line out there and put a timer on it, I don't have to worry about it, and I don't have to worry about it if I go away, that I don't have to get somebody in to water the plants for me or anything either. So you do know, you have any great... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think drip irrigation is is just like the garden gardener's savior. That's that's on my wish list, and so you know, I think I can say I'm a really good gardener after I get drip irrigation. <laughs> <laughs> 
and it doesn't have to be expensive. Just don't no. get the. Re- there are some really cheap ones out there. Um, I'll put a link up to one of the companies that I've purchased stuff for, from. That's that's good. Um, do you have any good peppers in this trial? I know a lot of oh people are into growing peppers. Oh, we. You know, I think this year. Well, I'll step back. Twenty fifteen was our year of the most. Um, AAS winners that we have had since 1933, and we had 29 winners, and a lot of them were peppers. So it was a very popular year of peppers, and I can I can just name a few of them. Uh, we have a jalapeno that's called Emerald Fire. There's a red one called Flaming Flare. There's a banana hot pepper called Hot Sunset, and a banana pepper that's sweet called Sweet Sunset. And then there's a pepper that looks more like an ornamental pepper with, with them kind of popping up like an ornamental pepper will, um, you know, kind of triangular fruits. And it's called Pretty and Sweet. And we're actually calling that one an ornamentable because its ornamental value is there, but they're also edible fruits. So they're yellow, green, red, um, and they look like the mini peppers that you buy in the market. So those are the five peppers we had as winners for 2015. That's a good thing to know. I'll put those if, in case people weren't writing fast enough. I'll put those up on our Facebook page. We only got about a minute left, Diane, but if you'll tell people where they can find you again and find all this information. Okay. On um, our website, you can look under aafwinners.com. Another URL is all-americaselections.org. If you're on Facebook, we're AAS Winners. If you're on Twitter, we're at AAS Winners. Okay. Um, I have a link to All America Selections on our Facebook page. Of course, the Facebook page is uh, America's Homegrown Veggie Show, and people can just click on, and I post links um, and, and some of the stuff about the about the varieties because it's awfully hard to remember varieties sometime when you're it listening. Is. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with me, Diane. Well thank um, you. I hope it's that been we can enjoyable. get you back. I hope we can get you back and talk some more wonderful winners in future years. I'd be happy to do that. Okay. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back right next week. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Could an app be the answer to a better garden? Absolutely. It's the new free app, Homegrown with Bonnie Plants. Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands-free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app, the sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. 